Welcome to the Freudcast. I'm Matt Barbet. Knowing what you need to know isn't always easy. Former US Defence Secretary Donald Rumsfeld famously talked of known knowns, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Yeah, all rather confusing. This is where need to know comes in. Friends and founders Warren Nettleford and Seth Gulnick are a broadcast journalist and former Snapchat executive, and they know how to make politics more interesting to a younger audience. Their hunch has been proved right by millions of viewers and beating the biggest news players to a Royal Television Society award. I sat down with them both on a need-to-know basis, of course. Seth first. I was once upon a time a journalist, not for very, very long, admittedly. I progressively sold out from there. But we actually met at journalism school, City University, both in the bursary queue, because neither of us could have actually afforded our journalism courses, (laughs) were it not for some uh, wonderful media benefactors, BBC News for me. Channel 4 News for Warren. So yes, we became firm friends far too many years ago and stayed in touch even as our careers diverged quite dramatically. (laughs) So I um, worked very briefly in BBC News and in the current affairs unit and then heard about this remarkable career where apparently you could just sit around and come up with ideas for TV shows. And I thought, I can sit, I can come up with things, this would be great. So then worked for many years creating shows in the UK and then also creating shows in the US, but then most formatively ended up reaching out to Snapchat because I was very interested in what came next in terms of storytelling and ended up joining them as the first person they'd ever hired from the world of TV and media to help them work out how to create meaningful content for the next generation of audiences. So spent two years as their global head of unscripted content in charge of everything 200 million people saw 75% of that 200 million under the age of 25. So it was really about redefining a whole new modality of storytelling for the made for mobile generation. And so after two years of that, I relocated back to the UK and Warren and I got to talking because meanwhile, he'd had his own very impressive (laughs) journalistic career. Yeah, so after City, where we met for our postgrads, I went to Channel 4 News as a trainee and when I was there, I was doing things like picking Jon Snow's ties and socks, as well as helping him to write scripts for the auto queue. Um, as a trainee, uh, I became a producer. And then I moved to the BBC, which is where I met you, Matt, of course. You were a, a big dog presenting the news. And I was there in the morning, the early mornings, doing the producer shifts to make sure that you look great. Your hair was, you know, on point, that kind of thing. It's all gone to pieces. It's all gone to pieces. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was de- it's become not doing it for you anymore. And so... Um, after that, I became a reporter at BBC London, and then I covered sports, uh, covering the Champions League, that kind of thing, going across Europe. And then after that, I moved back to ITN, um, working at Channel 5 News. So while Seth was over in the US making blue-collar TV shows like, I don't know, you imagine a blue-collar TV show, he would have created it. Mm, I was the true. guy in between those shows you'd see doing the news bulletins. So there was a bit of like a, a relationship there going on, even though we didn't properly realise it. And after that, that was it, really, working as a reporter and presenter at Channel 5 News. And then we had this great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So 
at Snap, you know, I was based in LA and as again, overseeing all content globally. But what I saw was there was this huge gap, you know, which we've all encountered to an extent, which is that more and more young people are turning to social media first for all of their news and information. But the news sources that are there are either not particularly credible or they are particularly credible, but they're also particularly boring. And there was a real gap of providing journalism to young people in a language that they could understand, but doing it with all the integrity and rigor that we come to expect from our news organizations. So, you know, that was an issue in America, but I will say it was even more of an issue when I returned to the UK, you know, no offense to any traditional media providers who may or may not be in the audience, but there was a very staid and traditional way of journalism that clearly just wasn't engaging young people, but young people were there waiting needing to be engaged. So Warren and I got to talking and we thought, could there be this really extraordinary opportunity to create essentially the first true digital journalism provider in the UK and really reach young people where they spend their time and provide important, credible journalism so they can be the productive members of society that they need to be. And so that was need to know. But is there more to it in wanting to talk to young audiences, wanting to to attract them to something that they need to know. They need to know that this stuff is important, even if they don't recognise that themselves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had the idea, uh, we'd spoken about this for over a number of years Mm -hmm. previously, how there was this need in the UK. And then when Seth came back, we were having lunch in an Islington restaurant, and that's when the deal Mark II was struck (laughs) when we decided to... (laughs) where we decided to do this. And it's because, yeah, we did see a need and we're both passionate about young people being informed about what's happening around them. And we've both worked in, well, I've worked, sorry, in uh, several newsrooms mm-hmm. where there have been many attempts by broadcasters to try and reach out to young people to, to tell them what's going on in a way which they can relate to. But I've just seen it happen so many times where it just hasn't been good enough. It's just been failing. And I just thought, you know what, rather than actually complaining about it, there are, you know, you've got one life, you take a chance, and we did that, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it worked out. Mm-hmm. And we were just really pleased that something that we made and just made a decision to do resonated so well with young people in particular. And I think the good thing as well is young people resonated because they watched it and, you know, they continued to watch and we grew a subscriber database. But people of a different age can watch that program too or watch our, watch our series. And I think that's a really important thing about news sometimes. If you have that shared experience, if you can have parents watching with their children as well, that kind of validates what they're watching sometimes too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think probably what the audience would find really interesting is we really did have to redefine mm. the grammar of journalism to do it. So to tell you a very sobering fact, on Snapchat, we would see the loss of around of about half an audience of viewers in the first five seconds of content consumption. Mm. Yeah, so think about that in TV terms, you know, that you've only got five seconds to really grab and hold an audience. So that really does mean you have to completely redefine your grammar. You know, how can you be just incredibly vivid, use incredible alacrity to really just hold and share compelling information? And so that's what we had to do. You know, it's about using graphics. It's about changing your language. It's sure about adding a kind of entertaining aspect, but at the same time, not sacrificing really good journalism to do it. Yeah, it, it, it really 
takes the idea of a headline to a whole new dimension, right? I mean, you've got five seconds to tell, tell a story. And, you know, we were taught in journalism school that when it comes to explaining what a story is, you've got to be able to tell someone in a pub really quickly in a few lines what the story is. Well, now you've got even less time to do that. Yeah. Doing a shot, maybe. You've got to tell someone. It's, it's, a, really, it's a really important lesson for anybody telling a story, not just telling new stories, but mm. you know, our, our colleagues are obviously telling stories on behalf of brands. And we'll get on to your thoughts about all of that in a moment. But it has been a huge success, as evidenced by a Royal Television Society News Award, yeah. which happened no, we were, uh, we were, just last month. Uh, that's right. Yes, we were very much the underdogs. So <laughs> we won the Royal Television Society Award for Digital Journalism, which was a huge honour, not least because our two fellow finalists were BBC News and CNN. So a combined 140 years of journalistic experience <laughs> versus our basically two weeks. <laughs> but no, so true, Victor, but we were truly delighted. I mean, I don't know, I'd say we were equally delighted by the fact we were also getting, you know, a million viewers a week, mm. you know, purely UK viewers. And where, as you saw in the video, you know, on election night itself, we got basically quadruple what Channel 4 got for its alternative election night, which is really telling, isn't it? And you think about the amount of money they spent on that, I can assure you ours was produced for significantly less. So to get both the audience acclaim and the acclaim of our peers, it's been fantastic. And it really just shows that, yes, sure, we absolutely know what we're doing, but B, there is this genuine need to do this to really help British young people be engaged. When you started to see the numbers go up, yep. need to know, just describe the emotional <laughs> response to that. No, it was really fantastic. I mean, you know, ultimately we started from a true standing start, you know, so no promotion, you know, obviously I know the Snapchat platform incredibly well. So we were able to use our kind of best learnings, but you still never know if a piece of content is going to succeed. But yeah, episode after episode, day after day, there was just this really fantastic progression. And, you know, we were getting people reaching out to us and we had a lot of polling and commenting integrated in broadcast, the broadcast, because that's one of the true wonderful things about broadcasting in social media. It brings the content and the audience so much closer together. And we were just seeing this fantastic engagement, this fantastic interaction. And it was just proving that we really were reaching this, you know, criminally underserved audience. What was funny for me, it was the little anecdotes I was getting from, say, family, friends or young people at the church I go to who would never talk to me about news and they go, oh, we saw your thing on Snap. And, you know, they, they, they never say to me, oh, we saw you on Channel 5 last week. They just, they just, <laughs> that never happened. So that was just kind of, you know, a, a, an affirmation that people were watching it and that they were engaging with it and they liked it. And we had that feeling, wasn't it? Every morning we'd come in mm -hmm. to, the, to the newsroom. We'd yeah. have, we, had, we had this little newsroom and we had six um, trainee journalists with us. And we'd go through the stories in the morning, story selection, ideas for gags and things like that. And then we'd get the viewing figures from the night before. It's almost like a little bit of a drum roll. How have we done? How have we done? How have we done? Oh, that's quite good. Mm, yeah, and, really and then good. it just kind of like grew and grew and grew. Yeah. And Warren touches on a really important point. So, you know, obviously the two of us and we had very talented editing and graphics uh, people as part of the team as well. Yeah. But it was also really important for us to mentor the next generation of mm -hmm. journalists. So we worked with a group of young journalists who had all just 
in, were in the process of doing their degrees at City University. And that was fantastic because not only were they able to really kind of learn, frankly, they also kept us honest because it's incredibly important when you're working with young people to speak with that true authenticity of voice because they can smell when someone's being patronizing, didactic, whatever it is, a mile off. And so that really enabled us to speak with that kind of truth and have that real yeah. engagement that clearly young audiences responded to. What do you think the, the, the sort of special source was? Was it because it was on the platform? Was it the tone of voice you used? Was it the talent you used in Warren and, and other presenters? Or was it a combination of those and a little bit of serendipity in terms of timing? What, what yeah. do you think made it fly? I think it was all of those things. You know, having been in the trenches on a, a number of these shows across the kind of Snapchat platform, you know, you can, there are lots of elements that you can use to make content incredibly engaging, at, at least across those first five seconds. You know, again, like using graphics, using split screen, using incredibly dynamic presenting talent, such as the man to my right. Uh, but but yes, it's about the fusion of all of those things and then really having that authenticity of voice as well. You know, really being able to speak in a language that young people understand, but also find incredibly credible. And we learn as we were going along. And that's the great thing about what we could do on the platform by being able to respond, yep. by being able to see what young people are responding to. Now you've got that tension then when it comes to, okay, they're responding to these particular stories, but we've got these particular values of trying to tell all the stories in the election. So, but we could tell, okay, we weren't that funny then yesterday, were we? Or the episode was too long there, or we spent too long on that particular story because we could literally see the drop oh, off. Yeah. So having that extra information oh, absolutely. really helps And that yeah. actually really is a fascinating strength of digital, social media-led broadcasting that obviously TV doesn't have, that you can literally go microsecond by microsecond to see the audience engagement and exactly to Warren's point you know we could see which stories were resonating more or less which aspects of delivery were you know more or less effective so you can be really data-led in your journalistic storytelling can that be a distraction because you know when you're editing a news program whether it's for snapchat or for Mm -hmm. channel five or whoever else sometimes you need to make a decision sometimes you need to think i'm they might like this i'll show them it so is there, is there then a temptation to be driven too much by what the audience does and tailor it accordingly? Yeah, you don't want to tilt at every windmill. Absolutely not. <laughs> you want to get a good sense of, of who you are and the content that you're providing. But it is very helpful that you can have essentially this dialogue with the audience. It's not like you need to listen to everything they have to say, but you can. And where you do, it really helps. And I think, you know, across our run, you know, as Warren says, we've really been able to evolve our content so that it's only more engaging, but at the same time, not sacrificing in any way our journalistic rigor. I think the way to think about it is this, the viewer took a chance on us or a risk when they first pressed play. And so um, if we didn't take risks going ahead, then it wouldn't be the same proposition. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue to take risks and try things out because that's what they were coming to expect. Yeah, and the joy is, you know, with this form of digital broadcasting, you have that dynamism. You know, we're not stuck in the 30-minute formula of TV news where we have to hit X stories and then throw to BBC London or whatever it is. No offence to the BBC London massive <laughs> who are in this discussion. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's joyous that we could... Yeah. shape our runtime you know we did episodes that were five minutes long we did episodes that were two and a half minutes long and it was about the content driving the narrative and nothing else the obvious question then as well warren to you is why the big broadcasters have been getting it so wrong because 
they have tried and sometimes they they succeed i think radio one newspeak where i used to work in the 2000s was always successful in attracting a younger audience but criminally underrated and ignored by the rest of the bbc news machines so why do you think that the big players lost out to you on the night at the rts awards uh, i think the reason why they lost to us was their entries i think I can say were solid pieces of journalism, really good. The the CNN entry was about them being in Wuhan um, during the pandemic and being forced to leave by the Chinese government in under, I think, five or six yeah, hours. Yeah, and in early January. In early January. So it was a scoop, the right place, right time, great bit of reporting. Um, the BBC piece was a piece about being black in Cambridge, so very much of the moment, uh, looking at disparities in race uh, and racism in particular as well and how it affects institutions and on a personal level. So clearly a story that could resonate with a bigger audience. But those were just solid pieces of journalism in their own right. They weren't anything particularly new or innovative. Mm-hmm. There have been stories on Cambridge before and problems with race. There have been stories about, you know, journalists being in difficult situations and being forced to leave very quickly. So I think that was how we came to have an advantage on this particular moment in time of winning the award. When it comes to why um, other broadcasters haven't done so well in appealing to young people, I think something which Seth said to me a while ago, and and which I think he said Mm -hmm. earlier on too, is the idea of broadcasters putting things on other platforms and not really understanding the grammar and not really realising actually... It's no good just placing a three-minute news report on Facebook and expecting people to resonate and watch it in the same way. Um, you've actually got to understand that people watch or engage with platforms in in different ways at different times. You know, come on, everyone on this call, I guarantee, will have taken their phone to their toilet at some point and been scrolling along, right? Um, and you don't watch a news report on TV in the same way as you would do scrolling and watch something in the, in the bathroom. You just don't. So I think it's us understanding that and perhaps the broadcasters, because of their size, not being nimble enough to perhaps invest the resources where they could try new things out. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Television on mobile doesn't work. And it's amazing how many people get that wrong to this day. You know, again and again at Snapchat, you would see this content placed onto a digital made-for-mobile platform and it just wouldn't work because they're not bearing in mind that when you're creating content for social you have to anticipate that the audience's thumb is constantly hovering over the screen desperate to swipe out desperate to disengage desperate to go on to any of the other thousands of pieces of content that they could select from their feed and so that means you know as we've touched on a couple of times You have to really structure so much immediacy into what you could call the form factor, the fact that it's truly made for mobile and it's not made for any other platform. So exactly to Warren's point, you know, those other two entries, great pieces of television journalism, but really nothing in terms of a meaningful format factor and nothing in terms of meaningful digital engagement. It's common sense. It really is common sense. And so I wonder if your learnings are then going to go back the other way and inform the way mainstream news is made. I mean, you know, when we were all learning journalism, the first thing you learned was in a TV news story, you put your best pictures at the front. And even now that's forgotten quite regularly on TV news, but do you, do you get a sense that they will have to learn from your experience to improve? I mean, look, you know, we're going through a generational shift. You know, the truth is that younger generations don't watch TV news, period. You know, so ultimately, news, journalism, all forms of content production, you know, the many brilliant partners that 
you at Freud's look after are going to have to adapt to these learnings because it's only going in one direction. You know, sorry, older generations, but you're older. And alas, you know, the reaper comes to us all. So, you know, really it is about (laughs) thinking about what the future is. You know, how do you engage these next generations? And, you know, it really is about adapting these learnings. He was looking at me when he said that. <laughs> That's a really, really feel-good afternoon, so thank you, thank you very, very much indeed. Uh, the other big elements of this is whether, whether certain audiences are engaging with certain news outlets or not, trust is the big issue here. So whether the BBC is doing well, well, people do turn to the BBC still in a crisis, and we're seeing that with pandemic and uh, and, and figures going up as a result. The same was true with Brexit, but it's because they're trusted. So, what? How do you take that into consideration? Because you're in, you know, you're in the Wild West, which is largely unregulated. Yeah, I did uh, a piece, uh, a long essay for the um, the Children's Media Foundation, actually, um, just a few weeks ago, on looking at the future of um, of uh, public service news. And excuse me. Um, and one of the things that they then I said was, um, if you look at the figures when it comes to trust um, uh, for for news, um, the first place where young people go to access news now is Facebook, rather than going to television news broadcasts. But when it comes to levels of trust, it's fallen by two percentage points in just a year. So I think it was in 2019, 42% thought that the news they were seeing on Facebook was trustworthy, which is quite a low figure. But in 2020, it fell to 40%. Meanwhile, if you look at levels of trust when you watch the news on television, uh, figures are between 70 and 80% across the three major networks. So you've got this situation where you've got um, young people watch around two and a half minutes a day of TV news. People over the age of 65 watch nearly half an hour. So the older people are getting trustworthy news. Young people are getting the news off Facebook, but they know they can't trust it. Um, so you've got a situation where you've got this massive gap in the middle where traditional broadcasters aren't able to reach those young people. So what we've been trying to do is we followed the Ofcom broadcasting code, even though we didn't need to. Mm-hmm. We decided it was a good thing to do to be able to be seen as being a trustworthy news provider in the digital space. So young people, hopefully in the future, would think, right, okay, it is possible to see a trustworthy news provider mm-hmm. who we can engage with and who speaks to us in a language and the grammar that we understand. And I think that's the new challenge facing um, you know, broadcast companies going ahead. Yeah. So come on, explain that for us, because because at the moment, yeah. Need to Know is kind of in hiatus, right? I mean, so what are the plans? Because this was it's a while ago now with the election. It's a great question. So, you know, obviously we did it over the 2019 election campaign as a trial, as a proof of concept, you know, to prove to ourselves venturing our own funds to really do this because we believed in it. And it was fantastic to be validated, yes, both by the audience and by Royal Television Society and the Press Gazette and all of our peers in many different ways. So, you know, based on those metrics and that acclaim, bearing in mind that we've, of course, also had a global pandemic in that time, we're now really exploring what comes next. And we're having some fantastic conversations with a whole range of different partners, you know, everything from traditional media platforms and journalistic platforms who want to expand in to the space that we occupy so skillfully through to, of course, classic investment funds. And certainly we'd be happy to explore conversations with many of the brilliant brands that I'm sure are being represented by the fantastic audience that's here today. So, you know, we're open to to working with any kind of partner that really 
can look to give us the opportunity to grow our platform because ultimately, you know, we've had the kind of validation. So now for us, it's about finding that right long-term home or group of partners that really enables us to grow our service from Snapchat across multiple social platforms to really be, you know, what we are already, which is the undisputed market leader for this form of content in the UK. Yeah, I mean, basically as well, the pandemic happened, right? That slowed yeah. things down. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that that that's one of the things to consider too. But we are very much at the moment um, full steam ahead with this. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Warren and Seth and to you for listening as well. Keep up to date with Freud's and the Freudcast by following us on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>